Welcome to the P2C Plus Conference Podcast. Thanks for, thanks for coming and thanks for making room for everybody. Uh, how are we doing? Uh, gentlemen in the back with the uh, red sleeves, yeah? It's all right. Can we hear us? Can you hear us? Don't, don't you always love it when speakers say, hey, can you hear me at the back? Because, of course, if you can't hear me at the back, nobody would respond yeah. to you. So but I called you by... That's good. We're going to try to do without a mic just because we only have one mic and we don't share real no. well. So. No, we don't. <laughs> it's hard to admit. Hard to admit for marriage people. Hey, so we do have uh, a little, little video of uh, one guy's take on marriage. Are you going to be a protector when you get older? Me. Like, <laughs> boys, not girls. <laughs> are you going to be a protector? I'm not going to be married at all. <laughs> I don't want to be married. Are you kidding? Okay, well, I would be scared. <laughs> of this session is uh, the big questions why who and when of marriage but we want to just stay right up front just like the little lad who doesn't plan to get married singleness is a valid biblical lifestyle all right you don't have to get married I know in some circles it seems like oh you know you're incomplete if you aren't the Apostle Paul said hey it's better to be married why because you can serve the Lord with all your time and your energy he quite rightly says better not to be married he said better not to be married that's right <laughs> and then he says you know if you can't handle it then you can get married you know so uh you just i, I want to say this uh now that now in canada 95 percent of canadians say they expect to be married in their lifetime so it is a common expectation but just we need to say because i think it's been weird in the church sometimes uh, single people are not incomplete, particularly single people who are choosing it for a purpose. You know, that is a gift. That is a commitment to live for the Lord's kingdom. So please understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, this topic is about marriage. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it right after we pray, okay? God, as always, if you don't build the house, everything we build is just worthless. So would you come and take our thoughts and our words and our interaction together and build something really good out of it because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So three big questions. And the first one is the why. Why get married? Uh, Gary Thomas, who's one of our favorite writers, has written just an amazing book that if we could give to you all, if we were rich enough, we would give you all a copy of this book. It's called The Sacred Search, or Just Sacred Search. 
Gary Thomas, and it's written for people who are either dating or even not yet dating. And the whole premise is, is dating, preparing yourself, getting ready for a lifetime commitment to another person. And his thesis is this, the why we marry, the why we get married is more important than the who we marry. His subtitle is, what if it's not about who you marry, but why? Great, great title, good book. So we're going to talk about the whys, and some whys that we believe are biblically true for why marriage is there. First of all, we believe that we were made for intimate relationship. We are created in God's image. God is in intimate relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the most intimate of all relationships. And, and we're wired the same way. We're, we're created, created in God's image. In yeah. God's image, and we're wired for intimate relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that marriage is the only intimate relationship. All relationships can be intimate. All relationships can reflect our created and our creator. Uh, but there seems to be, in all of God's teaching, in all of the Bible, there seems to be a special place reserved for marriage. It seems to be that it's designed to be the most intimate of all human relationships. This is the only relationship that's described as two people becoming one. And as I don't know if you were in the earlier session, but we don't believe that's an instantaneous process. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but we've heard, you know, those of you that were in the earlier class will hear this again, but sometimes marriages, you, uh, an illustration is used to describe marriage and they'll, they'll kind of set out a table and they have a pink, a pink uh, pitcher of water and a blue pitcher of water in the middle, there's a purple pitcher of water, and they pour the pink and they pour the blue into the middle, and this is supposed to be an illustration of what marriage is, two becoming one. It's a terrible illustration <laughs> for a bunch of reasons. First of all, you lose pink and you lose blue in that process, and there's nothing about marriage that means we get lost, that the individual that God created us we get to stay that way. We get to stay pink, we get to stay blue, and some miraculous way, something new hmm. is formed, something purple yeah. that's formed, that's new and different that God has ordained as well. So we don't lose any of who we are. As a matter of fact, the more purple we are, I mean, sorry, the more pink we are, the more blue we are, the better the purple. Uh, but God has designed us for these intimate relationships and we can have them in our family context, we can have them with colleagues, we can have them with friends, but there does seem to be something about this relationship that God has designed to becoming one. And it, that's a little bit different than, you know, some people are really extroverted and like to have tons of friends. That's neither here nor there. I think every human being longs to really be known by at least one or more people. You know, this is that intimate, deep level of friendship. Second why of marriage. <clears throat> is that marriage is designed <clears throat> to reflect God. Mm. So all through scripture is woven this wonderful image of how God loves his people. And the image is used of a bridegroom and a bride, a husband and a wife, a lover and a loved, a beloved. And, and all through scripture is this wonderful metaphor of a married, intimate love relationship uh, as, a, as a way of describing how God loves his people. And so something about this marriage relationship uniquely reflects the unconditional, never-ending, lifelong, committed, covenantal relationship of marriage. And so those of us who are married, and when we enter into that relationship, 
we have the privilege and might I say the responsibility of reflecting God in this relationship. So that's one of the whys. Another one. A third reason, a third why is uh, that marriage is a great place to grow up. <laughs> marriage is a really good place to grow up. It, it's, it's interesting in our culture that sometimes uh, we, we continue to feel like marriage is this place where now we're going to have all our needs met, whether it's for affection or companionship or sexual fulfillment. And, and think about it. Is having your needs met whenever you need them met, is that being grown up? I think it's being a two-year-old, right? <laughs> That's what two-year-olds want. I want it now, and I want it my way, and it's mine, mine, mine. And, 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 and I think that we're on this journey of trying to become, uh, live into what God wants for us. And I think there's this self-sacrifice piece. If we become like Jesus, we lay down our lives for others. And not just people that love us, people that don't even love us. So the self-sacrifice is, is this growing up piece. And I think marriage is this unbelievable place to give yourself away. Didn't Jesus say, greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for another person. And marriage is the perfect place to do that. Because when I do that for Cheryl and she does that for me, man, we are in a great, great place. It requires maturity to put your own needs on, on, on the back burner. It requires maturity to choose somebody else over yourself. And I think marriage is the perfect place to do that. And as we grow into that, we become more like Jesus. Marriage is our last best chance to grow up. I really believe that. It's a great place to grow up. Fourth why, marriage is a great place to become a fantastic lover. And, and I don't just mean sexual, but seeing as how I said it, let me talk about that for a minute. Uh, here's, the, here's the interesting thing that we know about um, the way our bodies are wired up sexually. Uh, when, when you have sex with somebody, you, um, your, your body has this incredible rush of, uh, of dopamine, which is this feel-good chemical. It's this want more of that. And so whatever creates this rush of dopamine starts to get you addicted to it. It's, dopamine is the same thing that comes into play with crack addicts and meth addicts and everything else. Dopamine is what, what gives them that rush. And you can have that when you have a sexual encounter and an orgasm. Then combined with that, you get, this, you get this other hormone called oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. And, and uh, you, you feel closer after sex because you have this bonding hormone. Now, the interesting thing is research shows that there's only one time that men have oxytocin levels that come close to matching women's levels, because and that's women. after sex. Yeah. yeah, they turn into girls. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just cut off our little... We have all sorts of oxytocin uh, when we have children, when we bond, when we hug. We, it, it, our oxytocin levels are always flowing. For men, it's very different. And this is just, just physiological. It's, not, it's just the way it is. It's just research-based. Uh, so there is that kind of physical love that grows in, in right. marriage. So, so, so the point of that is you become a great lover when you devote all your energy to the same person over time. Mm -hmm. You become, in the best possible sense of the word, addicted to this person. And you become not just more practiced in how to please each other, you become more and more pleased 
when you're together and you have sex together. And this is what's the problem with porn. Because you can have the rush of dopamine from any source. And so when, when and again, remember, I'm trying to be authentic and you know, I'm not standing outside this circle. I, you know, again, porn's been in my past, but I gotta be honest, temptation never really goes away, right? So even though I'm in a good place, I wanna stay in a good place. So what I wanna say is, th this is the problem, young men and women, and, and the fastest growing cohort of porn, porn users is women. Men still outstrip women by quite a bit, but the, the, the women are catching up and there's nothing to be proud of, so. Mm -hmm. uh, but but uh, you know, you have this, this experience and you can become addicted to other sources. And instead of being directed to one person the way God designed it, that I would become more and more addicted and more and more pleased and more and more infatuated with you sexually. You know, if we use porn, we get diffuse. We're all over the place. And we start to lose the capacity to really become that intimate. It's just, it's just a destroyer. And you know what? Can we just all get past the shame and, and whatever and just say, man, God's plan is that it'll be one man, one woman, over and over again, and you become a great lover. Now, I didn't actually intend to go down the sex road there. I don't know why. Famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> What I did mean to say is marriage is why marriage is because it's a great place to be to be a fantastic lover. To, to, to love somebody through all the seasons of life. And love does best in security. Do you know this? Love does best in security. Love does not do well in if you keep looking good, I'll be here. If not, I'm out. If you treat me the way I want, I'm here. If not, I'm out. Love will not grow into those environments. Love does best when you when you make a promise and you keep a promise for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, I will never leave till death do us part. That is the best environment for love to grow. Uh, some, we were talking up front here just before the session started, and somebody said, you've been married 30 years? I said, no, actually, 39 years in a row. <laughs> same, person. same guy. Yeah. <laughs> probably had three years in the middle of that where that were really a challenge for us. Really we didn't say we're thirty nine years happily married. Yeah. No. I'm thirty six <laughs> okay. happily married. Had three years where we really struggled to be honest, and, and we, we've tried to be honest about that. Uh, but truly, at thirty nine years, I would say our marriage is richer and fuller and more joyous and more life giving than it's ever been. Because you, we've learned over a lifetime to love each other well. You get better at loving the more you do it. And this is true in marriage. It's true in other relationships, too. But you get better at it, more and more skilled. And we're not just talking about in bed. So I, I want to say one other thing about, uh, I want to talk about uh, living together. Okay, was yeah. I going to do that? Were yeah. you going to move on to someone? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the biggest, one of the biggest, I think probably the biggest uh, statistical cohort in Canada right now uh, growing is uh, couples living together. The divorce rate in Canada is going down. Did you know that? Good news. Part of the bad news is it's largely because people are living together more and so there's less registered divorces. I do want to quickly say that the divorce rate was never 50%. That was always a myth. The divorce rate uh, for first marriages in Canada right now is about 30%. It probably peaked at about 36, 37%. See, the deal is when you hear gross divorce statistics, it includes multiple marriages. And you need to know this, second and third marriages uh, divorce at higher and higher rates. You don't actually get better at it. Uh, it just, it, so when, when they lump them all together, so 
I, w I want to say that, uh, you know, the divorce statistics, but, but I wanted to talk about li uh, living together. Because one of the great things, and, and you know, uh, that we hear on our campuses and among your generation is, um, well, why don't you try out the relationship? Why don't you sort of test drive marriage and live together? Or why get married? It's just a piece of paper. You know, all, all the things that you've kind of heard, and maybe some of the things you've even thought. And, and I want to tell you this. The statistics are very clear. Uh, they haven't done that many longitudinal studies, but over the last, uh, there have been some 20-year studies. People who have lived together before marriage have a lower success rate than people who do not. Now, that may seem odd to you because that's not the word on the street, but it is statistically true. And here's why. And I, I've talked to, we've talked to enough couples who are doing this. Sometimes when, when couples start dating and then they decide, oh, you know, well, we're already sleeping together. It'd be cheaper. Let's share an apartment. They sort of just slide into living together, right? And then maybe they, the, a little while later, they said, oh, you know, it's a, let's buy some property together. They just sort of slide into becoming homeowners together. And then maybe they have a baby and they sort of slide into becoming parents together. Nobody's ever chosen, right? It just sort of happens. You just sort of slide. And then sometime 10, 15, 20 years down the road, somebody goes, I never chose this. I never chose this person. I never chose this house. I never chose to be a parent. It just kind of happened to me. And because I didn't choose it, I can just slide on out. And that's the dynamic that you see more often than not. And I know a couple say, well, you know, uh, divorce, uh, you know, marriages don't work. Marriages do work. Marriages do work. And, and, and why couldn't your marriage work? Even if 30% of marriages don't make it, why don't you be part of the 70%? Marriage is the best place. That's the point we were trying to work on. Marriage really is the best place to learn to love and, and, and to be loved. When you live with somebody as long as Cheryl and I have lived, you get to this really deep place, which is you know me. And I think you can put up with me. <laughs> Most days. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, you know what? To be deeply known and, and, and not be afraid of rejection is, is what we all long for, isn't it? You only get that within a firm environment, a commitment. And uh, that's what we're saying. So why get married? Because it's the best place for love to grow, the kind of love we really want. And then there's one more. Uh, why of marriage? Is that marriage is truly the best uh, environment for children to flourish. I mean, again, statistically, and we don't need to go into all the research, but statistically, a two-parent home where the parents are committed to a, long, a lifelong marriage, that's the best environment for kids. And secular researchers will tell you the same thing. It doesn't mean that single-parent kids don't turn out no, well. There are probably not. some of you in the room and yeah, you're absolutely. human beings. It doesn't mean that. We're talking about statistics, and you're not a statistic, you're a person. Uh, but when you're considering why marriage, it has to be something that gets put on the table because the, the statistics, the research is very clear. It is the best place for kids. So why is the first question we need to ask? And, and, and when you answer why with these things, it honors God. It's the best place for me to grow up as a mature person. It's the best place to, uh, to uh, experience and grow in love. And all. you know, when you answer why that way, those answers are enduring. When you answer why I get married, because I think it'll make me happy, because I think I'll have lots of sex, because I think it's financially better. You see, if you answer why with those answers, what happens when those answers aren't true? What happens when you're not financially better? Now you've lost your reason why you're together. What happens if you don't have as much sex as you thought? 
Well, now I've lost my motive of why I got married. Are you with me? We need to choose answers that really address and build a foundation for marriage that lasts because that's what honors God and that's frankly what pleases us in the deepest part of our souls in the long term. So that's the why question. We'll get it, there'll be time for questions at the end too. So that's the why question. All right, who? This mm. is a good question. Some of you are looking around the room right now. <laughs> in yeah. fact, when this session I is over, when this session is over, those of you who are looking for a partner, just stick around. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll draw numbers on a hat. Why not? It's, maybe it's not a bad idea. <laughs> so there's an old legend, you know, and it's so sweet. There's this old legend that when the gods created a heart, they broke it in half and they threw them, uh, the two halves, to the uh, to the outer parts of the earth. And so you spend your whole life trying to find your other half. And when it happens, isn't it a lovely story? No. no. It freaks me out. There's seven billion people in the world. Or more, I don't know. That, that's tough. Man, that whole one thing. And then, and then you're just so worried, like, what if this isn't the one? Or what if I was wrong? Or, you know, it felt good. And we talked in the earlier session. That, that, that is, when you're in deep in, in a relationship and you quote, fall in love with somebody, neurologically and physiologically, they can measure. You have a flood of neuropeptides for about 12 to 18 months. But when those wear off, you might go, oh, I don't feel the way I used to feel. This must not be the one. And then that's why sometimes people move on. Because the, the good news, infatuation can be replaced by commitment and true giving and receiving a love. So the, this whole, you know, is there one, we get that question a lot. We do. Is there one person? I surely hope not. That's too freaky. Now, and the other piece, you know, you, you gotta think about this. So my dad was uh, one of 14 children. Uh, 12 of them got married, and all 12 marriages went right to the end, till death was part. That's amazing. Do you think they just got lucky 12 times? <laughs> Somehow, out of 7 billion people, 12 people from the same family? No. They believed certain things about marriage, and they made certain commitments to one another they managed to live out. And I realize not everybody does, but there are multiple people you could be married to. Now, some it's going to be easier. Some it's going to be better. We'll talk about that a little bit. But I do think, and I hope I don't, you know, disappoint your romantic fantasies too badly, but we do not believe that there's only one person in boy. Please, God, help me find the one person. Because the problem with that belief, too, is if you believe there's one person and you go through a hard patch, it's too easy to believe, oh, this isn't the right person. I'll go find the right person. Because if I was only with the right person, I'd be happy. And it's just such a mess. So here's a question for you. As a matter of fact, if you have a pen, jot, jot down. Or on your phone or whatever you do. Three essential, <laughs> essential characteristics for a future mate. <laughs> Three essential
going to be worth keeping and these are a good character and somebody who treats you well if you have to distill your whole list down to two things pick those two things somebody who has good character and however you define that kind patient loves Jesus however you define that a good character and someone who treats you well because here's the thing those things are unlikely to change those things are probably the way they treat you now is the way they will treat you for your entire life. And the character they have now is likely the character they will have to your life. Now, Jesus can make a difference. Jesus right. can change all of that. Jesus can <coughs> renew somebody's mind and remake their character entirely. But don't marry them until that's happened. Or at least until they're well on their way. Character and the way they treat you. These things aren't probably going to change. So... We have, we have bumped into people later on who, in effect, married somebody without much character and who didn't treat them well because they thought, oh, I can save them. They just misunderstood. They're just whatever, right? And wow, they just need me to love them. And then, you know, they'll become different people. I'm highly skeptical. We've not seen evidence of that. Jesus can change them, but you can't. And so what happens later on is people go, well, yeah, you know, now that you mention it, he was verbally abusive when we were dating. But I thought after the wedding he'd change. Yeah, now that you mention it, 
he was sexually aggressive before, before we got married, but I thought it would be better after the wedding. And it didn't. I mean, we hear these stories over and over again, people. Or she. Or, or she, she. Was emotionally needy or demanding yeah. or manipulative. Yeah, I could see that, actually. Yeah, he or she had a problem with the truth, you know, before we got married, but I thought it would get better. What we're telling you is look for character and don't compromise on the character. You can compromise on the Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> But don't care to compromise on the character. And never forget this. If they don't treat you well when they're courting you, when they're dating you, man, they're on their best behavior. If they don't treat you well then, you know, uh, return your phone calls, be courteous, be kind. There is absolutely zero belief that it's going to get better after a 30-minute ceremony in front of your friends. So some signs to watch for. Character traits that you really don't want to see, to be alert to. Uh, broken, a, a history of broken relationships yeah. or unresolved relationships. Yeah, it doesn't mean that, you know, they may or may not have dated, but we're talking about broken or unresolved, broken unhealthy. Or unresolved. Yeah. And again, it's not, it doesn't have to be a game change or a, a, a non-negotiable. Deal breaker, yeah. But just keep an eye out for this one. If there's a series and a history of broken or unresolved relationships, there's usually a reason why. So ask the question, dig a little deeper. Just something to be alert to. Uh, be very alert to people who have a very casual approach to sex. For all, for some of the reasons that Neil talked about, is there's you know all this bonding that goes on, and so if they've had multiple sexual partners, they've bonded with multiple people, and it's and, and it's sad but true. But the oxytocin actually wears down after a while when we bonded, bonded, bonded. It's like we run out of glue. And some people have gotten married after having multiple sexual partners, and there's really no bonding left. They, they've run out of bonding material. And when they finally get to their life partner, it, it, all that, um, it's been used up. Now God can restore this. Again, God can restore this. We're just telling you about plan A. So plan A <laughs> is find somebody who has not had a casual approach to sex and multiple sexual partners. Uh, find, uh, watch out for destructive habits or addictions. I mean, that should be obvious. Uh, pornography is one of them, um, but there are others. Just watch for those. Addictions tend to repeat themselves, and sometimes they can uh, go away, but they tend to come back under pressure and under stress. Again, God can take care of all this. We've seen it happen. We've experienced it in our own lives, but watch out for this. Uh, watch out for uh, dishonesty, and then sort of the, the cousin of dishonesty, hiddenness. It's a form of dishonesty. Uh, it's different. Dishonesty can be outright <coughs> lying. Uh, hiddenness is just that sort of uh, not willing to open up their heart, not willing to be completely forthright, not willing to be completely vulnerable. It's hard to be married to a person like that. Keep, keep an eye on that one. Uh, narcissism. Anger or any violence. Uncontrolled anger. Uncontrolled anger. Yeah. I mean, we all get angry. Uncontrolled anger or anger that kind of seems to flare out of nowhere. You know, it's legitimate to be angry over big things, but when there's kind of big anger over little things, that should be a little hmm. warning sign. Like, what's going on in there? What's, what's leaking out? Uh, and then uh, any sort of violence, any form of violence, should be a non negotiable. 
Look me in the eye. It should be a non-negotiable. If there's any violent behavior in any of your relationships, get out. Uh, inability to trust. If someone is incapable of trusting, and sometimes it's, it's part of their story. Sure. Some great conversations with some uh, people already today about, you know, my, my dad was unfaithful to my mom. I just, I, yep. you know, it's, it's deeply impacted me. I mean, these things are deeply rooted in our story. So I'm not saying that this should be a, just because they have a hard time trusting doesn't mean they're not a worthwhile person. I'm just saying be alert to it. Because if they never get to the place where they can trust, you never grow into the fullness that this relationship was designed for. So keep an eye on that. And then a confused sexual identity. Uh, that's, a, that's a conversation all of its own. But, but if that is part of who they are, uh, keep your eye, keep your eye on that. Keep an eye on that. So warning, it, it's it's potential down the road for heartbreak and heartache. So keep an eye on that one. Um, one one more thing. Keep an eye on this. Do they have good friends? Because if they are incapable of building a friendship with another person without romantic feelings involved, they're incapable of building a lifelong friendship. Because long after those neuropeptides, neuropeptides have worn off, and, and long after the sex becomes a little less exciting, maybe because it's been happening for 40 years, the friendship, not always. <laughs> was, that, was that a random comment? <laughs> I just went on to see how great it is to make love over and over again. So. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to our room next. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. No, no, I love it. And I should have said that. My point is, sexual relationship can become a little routine after you've been married for a while. The 40 years was random. Uh, when the ties wear off, and, and I think the, but the friendship piece is constant, right? If you can be good friends, the sex comes and goes, the romance comes and goes, the peptides. I still go, my heart still beats fast when Neil walks in the room. Sometimes. Not every day. <laughs> Not every day, but it yes. still does. But those will come and go over your life. But the friendship is like the solid thread that goes through everything. And so if, you're, if this person is incapable of building friendships, they're incapable of building a long-term, lifelong relationship. So keep an eye on that. Because the heart of marriage is the heart of what makes good friends. You, you give each other the benefit of the doubt. You go out of your way to support them. You got their back. Communicate. Uh, you communicate. You stay in touch. I mean, these, the kinds of things that build your friendships are the kinds of things that will play out in your marriage. Hey, so I don't know. As I was listening to that list, I don't know about you, but I thought, wow, is there anybody is there worth anybody? marrying? <laughs> you know, the other reality we got to face is I am a sinful person, and there's a 100% chance that I married a sinful person, and that's true for you, too. But, you know, we're just trying to flag some things, and I wonder if you couldn't take Cheryl's list and maybe cross it with your non-negotiable list. Remember that she started you down? And, and maybe make that the core of, of what you're looking for. And praise God, we change and we grow. Yeah. You know, uh, like like where you are right now and where you and a potential spouse might be on your wedding day is not where you're going to end up. There's, there's growth ahead of you. 
But again, you need to have a person who's committed to growing, right? Yeah. And who's growing in the same direction. These are the kinds of things. Yep. Just said to keep an eye on it. Yeah. yeah. All right, ready for the so, third big question? Mm-hmm. When? Not this weekend. Yes. <laughs> However, we're all here. I'm ordained. <laughs> So full disclosure, when we got married, I was 23 years old, and just, I have one more semester left at Simon Fraser University, and my sweet wife was? 19. Yes. Yes. I was baby. But here's the thing, I never intended to get married young. I had big career plans, I was going to see the world, I was not going to get married at least until I was 30 years old. And then, and then went, she met me. <laughs> and then I went to a summer camp where Neil was a sports director and I was a camper. than we have for ourselves. And sometimes the right person comes in at a very uh, inopportune time. And so our life, we can plan it out, we can think we have ideas. I'm here to say there is no right age to get yeah, married. It's true. I, we just honestly don't believe something. We know people who marry later in life. We know people who marry even younger than we did. And they have great marriages, they have great marriages. Some of these have Tragic marriages, some of these have tragic. There's no formula for when the right time is. Some of that is dependent on when God brings that person into your life, and that was certainly my case. I, I actually, I looked at Neil, we dated for two years, and I, I honestly said to myself, this was not my plan, <laughs> but I will never find anyone better than him. So I better take this one while he's here. <laughs> and God will work out the plans and all the other things uh, along the way. And, and it's been a wonderful journey, I'll be honest about that. And I said, nobody my age will really date me. <laughs> I don't know, it was one of those things. It was one of those things. But I had a pretty clear picture of, of uh, who I wanted uh, to marry and, uh, and Cheryl, exemplified those characteristics plus you were hot but more importantly more importantly you, you used to live in california stinking hot like 40 degrees for long periods of time uh and we we were going to church this one sunday and i said to neil it's so, I, I'm so hot. And he said, not as hot as you used to be. Oh, yeah. 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 This is my last time out. I'm 
communication story too, because I heard her say it's so hot, and I said it's not as hot as it used to be. <laughs> Which is true. It was like 39. Yeah, yeah. And so the good news is Cheryl kind of went, "What did you say?" And I had a chance to explain myself. Yeah, there so there you go. So she was and is wonderfully good looking. But the point is, she really fit those friendly things. Uh, you had a strong faith. You were a leader. Uh, making a difference in the world mattered to you. Um, you had great friendships, you had respect. Uh, I mean, just all these things were really, really great. And, and you know what, and, and I felt too, um, no, I wanna get married. And, and uh, like, what's the point of waiting till you're quote 27, 28, 29? But here's the other thing about the when. As there's a lot of sort of word in the street like, oh, don't get married until you're, I don't know, fill in the blank. Finish 28, college, 29, 30, finish job, college, yeah. finish your master's degree, own a house, pay off your student loan. I know. Go down the list, right? There's a lot of things people will tell you don't get married until then. You know what, and, and they mean well, and there's some wisdom in that. I, I guess what we've seen, as Cheryl said, I've seen people wait till later, and you know their dilemma is they've got money, but now they go like, well, that's my money. So you got married, and that's your money. See, when we got married, neither of us had a job, we had 300 bucks, so we didn't have these kinds of bikes. <laughs> so, you know, when couples that get married uh, older, uh, they have other things. They've got deeply ingrained habits. I go to bed at night. I go to bed at 11, tossed. You know, it's like, when you're older, you deal with different things. There's a different set of problems when you're older. Don't buy the myth that just by waiting, it's gonna get easier. Now, when you're young, there's a different set of uh, issues as well. But it's, it's not as automatic as young or old. We'd probably stress some other things. You'll know you're ready to get married when, and we got a couple things. Mm -hmm. Well, remember the answer to the why question. Yeah. So if you're not willing to be intimate, or vulnerable, or open, or honest with another person, you're probably not ready. If you're not willing or able to love without condition or without sacrifice, probably not ready. If you're not willing to grow up, not ready to take responsibility, not willing to put somebody else first to try to be less selfish, I mean, that's a lifelong task, yeah. probably not ready. And if you're not ready to commit to one person, forsaking all others, that's a big deal, don't get married. You're not ready. And there's no shame in that. You're yeah. not ready. Yeah. That's okay. How do you know when you're ready? How do you know when your partner's ready, your boyfriend or your girlfriend's ready? Two sons. You're ready when you're ready and willing to leave your parents and your past relationships behind. Leave your parents and your past relationships behind. If you're not ready to do that, then I don't think you're going to really be able to enter into your, your marriage properly. If you're enmeshed in the past, how can you move fully into the future, right? So if you're going, oh, yeah, you know what, this, this woman, this guy's great, but man, that guy who broke my heart in 12th grade, I hope he finds me on Facebook. <laughs> and if you're still thinking like that, do not think you're ready for another relationship. You're still tied up. You're still tangled up. And of course, this is the difficulty with, with multiple sexual partners, is, is we become bonded to some people in the past. And again, I know the statistics are that you know many of us uh, have had sexual partners, so we're going to have to navigate that. And Jesus can set us free and, and help us commit to our, our spouse when that day comes. But, uh, so that's really important. You've got to leave that behind. And then this parent thing, okay? It's really important. We teach this all the time. Moses wrote, and Jesus repeated, and the Apostle Paul wrote the same verse. 
And when Moses, Jesus, and Paul say the same thing, it's a big deal, people. It's a big deal. And here's the verse. A man shall leave his mother and father and a woman leave her home, and they shall cleave to one another and become one flesh. That's the basic commitment to uh, a marriage that's going to work. If you're not ready to do that, if there's still complicated things at home, then I would say you're not quite ready. You're not ready yet. And I know that that's tricky with parents. And I know I've had people say, you don't understand my culture. In my culture, this is the way it works. And it's very patriarchal culture. And my father needs to sign off. And Please understand. Moses wrote in a patriarchal culture. Jesus spoke in a patriarchal culture. Paul wrote in a patriarchal culture. Do not be trapped by your culture. Sometimes our culture's got it wrong. Sometimes our family's got it wrong. Okay? So we should respect them. We should honor, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily right. We also have some habits in our families that, that, that aren't God-honoring or even biblical. So uh, that would be one of the things we'd say. It, is, is, there's a new number one. The day I made that promise to Cheryl, instantly everybody else became number two, including my mom and dad. My mom and dad are gone now. My dad died of cancer. Uh, one of the reasons we moved back to Canada, my mom had dementia. It was my privilege to care for them in the latter stages of their life. I honored my mother and father. But make no mistake, when I made a promise to Cheryl on August 12, 1978, she was number one. And my parents knew it. My parents wanted that. Because they knew that that's the basis that you build a great marriage on. So uh, we, I talked to somebody earlier about how do you honor your parents even, even as adults. And that's a, that's a journey. But I think it's really important. So you're ready to go when you can leave your past relationships. And, and when you can uh, leave your parents behind. And then the second thing, we've already talked about it, but just to reiterate, you're ready for marriage when you're ready and willing and able to sacrificially put somebody else's best interests ahead of your own. Now, that's hard to do consistently. So you grow into that one. We're, we're 39 years in, and we're still figuring that one out, to be honest. But when you at least have the capacity to do it occasionally, <laughs> you might be ready for marriage but it's something to, to watch out for until we can actually be uh, willing to put aside our own selfish desires and take care of somebody else's best interests we're not ready to be married because that's an ongoing journey and, and we can practice on friends here's the, here's the other kind of the hidden hidden secret you can practice these things on your in your friendships you don't have to wait till you get married to learn how to sacrificially love somebody else we can do it in little ways now it's it's the it's actually the life that jesus calls us to to be willing to put other people ahead of ahead of our own so those two things are are, are really in our opinion the two things that you have to kind of the, the bedrock to know when you're ready to be married every stage has got its challenges what if you got married as an undergrad yeah it'd be tricky well, it's trickier later on, too. So, uh, you know, there's bigger fish to think about. I bet it's my metaphors. You talk about the fish. <laughs> bigger fish to fry, bigger, you know, whatever. I should stop talking right now. The three big questions, though, the why, the who, and the when. We hope we've given you some things to think about. And speaking of questions, we have about... Got 10 minutes. 10 minutes to answer some of yours. Throw them at us, or if you have some wisdom for the group, go yeah. throw that out as well. 
Speak loud, we'll try to repeat them. Um, yeah, thanks for hanging in. This room's really crowded. And, and warm. Any questions? All right. Have a good one. Wow. <laughs> Got a question down front here. We'll repeat it. No, go ahead. Sure. So uh, earlier you guys had mentioned uh, that you should almost kind of like avoid individuals that are exemplifying destructive or addictive habits. Are you, can you guys just provide some examples of some really healthy habits that you guys have seen within your own marriage? Healthy habits, okay. So we talked about destructive negative habits, watch out for those, those are warning signs. What are some healthy habits that uh, would be good to watch for on the other side of things? Yeah, That's a great question, it's not all negative. Um, I, again, I think I go back to, to watch how they treat their friends. If they're, um, if they're habitually polite and kind and gracious to their friends, that's a good thing to know. Watch how they treat their parents. Very interesting thing. Are they capable of honoring and respecting their parents? Um, I would say those would be a couple of things to watch for. I'd say some kind of um, pattern that, that wasn't like, well, you know, I've had five different jobs in the last uh, six months, but my bosses all were mean to me. <laughs> What's the common denominator? You know, I mean, there's sort of a pattern of like, uh, you know, this is like the uh, fifth school I've started. I always drop out after a semester. But that's another negative one. Yeah, sorry, those are negative. So I would look. <laughs> so I would look for people maybe then who go I, that they have a bit of a track record of finishing stuff they start, of of sticking with things that they committed to. Um, that's the positive way to say it. I, I would look for that that kind of because you see, there's a lot of self-discipline in being an adult and, and building a healthy home. There's times when you go, you know what? I actually don't feel like this, but I'm going to do it because I love my spouse, I love my family, I love my home. Self-discipline's a, a kind of big deal. So I'd look for sort of some some good healthy self-discipline patterns. Somebody talked about funny. I wouldn't underplay that. No. Even though I thought you said my. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't underplay yeah. that. The ability to laugh, particularly at yourself, is a good thing. Like if the person can go, sometimes I'm just such an idiot. You know? Like that, that, that's sort of a little clue. Like that's a, a decent self-image, right? Like I don't have to protect myself and you can't laugh at me. And, you know, I, so it's, yeah. yeah, I think a good sense of humor. Uh, particularly about question. yourself is a good one. It's a great question, and I think it's one we should all consider. What are some some habits that I'd like to see in the person that I'm, I'm dating or that I'm thinking about? I think uh, some some spiritual disciplines in their life. Um, we do another whole seminar on different spiritual pathways, and we're not all wired up the same spiritually, but they should have some spiritual pathways and some spiritual disciplines discernible in their life. Mm -hmm. And and so that would be a good habit, I think. Yes, um, so building off of this, uh, you're talking about warning signs to look for in other people. What would you advise for someone who's trying to see some of those in themselves? <laughs> well, good question. What would you advise uh, when you start to see some of those warning signs in your own self? That's a good question. Uh, do you have an answer? I do. <laughs> One of the things I think we should all be about whether we're in a relationship or whether we're not in a relationship, whether we want to be in a relationship soon or not, is becoming the best me we can possibly be with God's help. I, I God, God had in mind something pretty amazing when he created you. And part of our life is to live into that me that God thought up in the first place. 
And we get to practice that long before we ever get into a marriage relationship. And I think those those things that we do day to day to day to day, those are the things that build character. Those are the things that, that get rid of those bad habits. Those are the things that um, when we invite God into our life, we, he can heal up those broken places, which allows us to be whole and well. Because here's the thing, a marriage is only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. So don't be that person. Be the person who, who, who can open up the possibilities in your marriage relationship, not the person who puts the lid on your relationship because you're not healthy. So in this season of pre-marriage, be about becoming the healthiest person you can be and get rid of some of those behaviors, some of which have just been patterns that we've inherited from our families. We talked about family baggage in an earlier session. We just repeat them sometimes until we become aware of them in ourselves or somebody points them out. Work hard and ask for God's help and ask your friend's help yeah. in kind of getting rid of those patterns in our lives. That would be the only thing I'd hitchhike on is, is I hope you're, if, if you're trying to really grow, I hope you're not trying to do it solo. I, I hope there's somebody in your life who will walk with you and, and encourage you and, uh, and not let you get too negative about yourself, because sometimes when we're trying to grow, we're so hard on ourselves, and really, really, um, yes, God has more for us, but he's a patient, kind, he's a shepherd, he knows when to move us, he knows when to let us lay down by still waters, and, and, and you need to have somebody in your life. I think when we're all alone, uh, we can spin in our own circles, and we can become deluded one way or the other, so I, I, that'd be the one thing. God bless you for, for wanting to grow and being alert to things. And I would say try to get at least one person in your life, maybe belong to a small group. Great things, you guys, you guys, you know, Power to Change students, you guys do this, don't you? Don't you have small groups and don't you have, uh, remember what we talked this morning, a small group's only as, as good as you're willing to be authentic. But I think if you can be authentic in a small group, that'd be a huge encouragement and, and a huge reminder week to week or month to month of how you've grown and, and where you're headed. Uh, just don't try to do it alone. It, we're made to do it together. Jesus came to earth. And he drew around him 12 disciples. And then there was a bigger circle of disciples, as you know, right? It wasn't just the 12. He didn't try to do it alone. And, and we shouldn't be there. One more. Yeah. Yep, Mitch. Uh, considering human nature and sexuality, would you say the Apostle Paul's advice that you can serve God better single oh. is even close to practical for 99.9% of people on the planet? Well, there's a good question. Very good question. Did you hear that? Considering human sexuality, do you think that Paul's advice to not get married is even doable for 99.9% .9 of the population? Is that even practical? Even practical, yeah. You see people, they stay single for God's help, and then they yeah. end up having to tempt God. Finding other stuff called God's help. Okay, well. Nothing wrong with cats, by the way. <laughs> see, it's interesting, because Paul said... It's better if you don't marry, because then you can uh, devote yourself fully to uh, the Lord's work. And remember, in the same passage, he says, but if you do marry, it's a priority. I mean, that's the whole Im implication. If you do marry, you're going to be concerned. He said the married man is concerned with the affairs of, the, of his wife, and the married woman is concerned with the affairs of her husband. So that is a good and godly thing. If you do marry, you should care about one another. Now, Paul also said, look, this, this don't get married, serve the Lord. But he said, if you can't handle it sexually, get married. He did say that. And I think that uh, it, it is fair to say, and actually Thomas does a really nice job if you read his book, and he makes a really good case. He said, look, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I'm getting married a little earlier than maybe uh, my parents would have liked or my friends are getting married. 
because I can't live in a God-honoring sexual relationship with my girlfriend or with my boyfriend, and I want to. So I'm going to get married even though we're young, because I'm going to honor God with our sexual relationship, and it's the right thing to do. So I think I'm touching a little bit on what you're saying. Um, if you don't have the gift of celibacy, if you're not going to be able to carry that in holiness, I don't think it's, it's not second best. It's not second best to say, no, we got married because I want to be honor God with the way I handle my body and my sexual desires. I think the Bible says, get married. It's better to marry than to burn is the actual verse. <laughs> and I don't mean burn in hell. I mean burn with... Uh, Desire. With desire, <laughs> but we do need it. We do need to navigate that, and, and you need to under, we need to figure this out because we we we're mature and ready to go sexually in our teen years physiologically, and then if we live in a climate where we say, "Oh, don't get married till you're 30. that's a lot of years. That's a lot of years to figure this out, you know. And then and then the net result of that is maybe we sin sexually and then bring baggage into our marriage. So, you know what? Um, I think, think long and hard about it. Thomas has a nice chapter on that in his book, too. So we're not telling you one way or another, but it's not wrong to manage your sexuality in a way that honors God. You guys have hey, Cassandra, Cassandra's yeah. cutting us off, so. Door. If you guys can just start going through that back door so we can just count us so we know what kind of room that'd be helpful. You guys can stay around for some questions if you want or talk sure. to each other. But just to let you know. We'll be here. Thank you guys. God bless you all. Bless you. See you later. To learn more or to register for next year, go to p2cplus.com.